Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management. And along with me today, of course, is my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Good morning, good evening, Nitin. Thank you, Derek. Glad to be here again. Uh, terrific week, a lot happening. Looking forward to having a chat with you. But I have a special guest today, which I'll introduce after uh, in a few minutes. Back to you. Terrific. And and thank you for bringing along your special guest. Look, you know, it, the beginning of each week, you say there's been a lot happening this week. It's just getting to a point where that's just a gross understatement. You know what I mean? <laughs> this, in, this industry moves so extraordinarily quickly. And of course, of late, there's been a lot of um, tumultuous activity um, that we could well have done without. Um, but I want to just start this conversation around the opinion of mainstream versus what's happening within the industry, if I may. So, you know, I couldn't help but read The Economist's um, article called, um, you know, Is This the Death of Crypto? Uh, it, was an, it was a very interesting article, um, one very much based upon tradition. Um, and then quickly after that, I read the New York Times opinion piece, which says, is this the end for crypto? You know, <laughs> and, and I, I thought to myself, well, firstly, I thought to myself, if I'm starting to see mainstream saying this, maybe this is the, the inverse equivalent of the taxi driver when he's actually saying at the height of the boom, you must buy Bitcoin. Maybe this is the bottom of the trough when these guys are saying that this is the end of crypto. <laughs> We're just about there when one might deploy into more crypto. Not that this is financial advice. Of course, we don't give that. Um, but it is interesting to see the herd mentality. But when they go through and discuss this, it's intriguing because it is an interpretation through their lens of traditional finance. I mean, they talk about 1 million creditors impacted by FTX. Very true. They talk about $8 billion of losses. Very true. Then very quickly, they say, this is back to the tulip fever period of time. And, <laughs> and, and you know, because it's a very old concept um, of, of an artificial marketplace. But, you know, that's their view. Says, can crypto ever be useful other than scams, hype, money laundering, and unsanctioned players? You know, people should be free to invest, they acknowledge. And then they say that in the slim chance that crypto can rise from underlying, um, from this underlying potential, there might be something in the future smart contracts. You know, such an extraordinary view of a traditional finance group looking into a space that obviously they don't understand. And so I wanted to put a couple of things in perspective. These big organizations, these big articles and publications are written by a group that's questioning whether the asset class should exist anymore because of this downfall of FTX. So let's just put this in perspective. Yeah. This FTX downfall was really a failure due to fraud 
misappropriation of customers' assets, over leverage, poor accounting systems, lack of transparency, you know, lack of oversight of governance, lack of regulations, you know, which in a bull market, um, you know, this would never have been seen. But in a bear market and in a bank run, it gets uncovered. And so this is actually a central finance issue, not a decentralized finance, a smart contract or a currency issue. This is a centralized exchange that's fouled and it's fouled around fraud. So let's just quickly put in perspective. The estimated failure is about $8 billion of fraud, but that number varies considerably. So that's just today's estimation. So if you look at Bernie Madoff's um, fraud uh, back in the um, 2009 or back in the in early 2000s, Bernie Madoff um, committed a fraud of $65 billion. And so what was interesting about that is that Bernie Madoff, of course, was trading futures, et cetera. And, you know, was there a call for the termination of all trading of futures? And there wasn't. So then, we, of course, we see Enron, which was famous because it went down for $74 billion of fraud. And they're an energy trading company. So was there a call that all energy trading should stop and that you should never trade energy again? Of course not. In both cases, there was a better call for regulations. And that's exactly what I think we need to see here. You know, more regulations in the crypto space, you know, more financial disclosures, more transparency, more governance, and more accounting standards in these centralized exchanges and these centralized fund managers, et cetera, that is traditional here. You know, why would you ever write an article saying it's the end of crypto? It's a little bit like writing an article saying it's the end of energy trading or the end of futures trading. Let us never trade futures again. So putting it in perspective, I just think that maybe we should be thinking that the sky isn't falling and that just like Bernie Madoff and Enron, there needs to be more regulations. Now, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Mr. Mr. Smith um, coming to Washington this week and the excitement associated with that. But as I understand it, Nitin, Mr. Gower is going to Washington shortly because you've been called <laughs> in to provide opinion. What's your thought about all of this, mate? No, no, I think it's, uh, thanks, Derek. And I think it's it's great. And we should quickly bring in our guest. Uh, but but you're right. In, in many cases, the magnitude, it did have a ripple effect. The contagion of, as I call it, contagion of incompetence is still unfolding. So there's a lot mm. more to see. But I think there's a there's a lot of truth to the magnitude. So it's 0.8 billion, which is fraction of the entire crypto market, not not significant, except that the lack of market structure led to some of these things. But again, uh, we've had enough ch- chat about crypto. Let me actually bring in my client, my guest client. So you stock to <laughs> yeah, your customers. Yeah. But I'd like to introduce Andrew Tang, um, an amazing person. I think I, I I met Andrew at an event in San Diego. We had a private market events uh, by an event uh, by entity called Clarify. And basically, you know, we, we really hit it off. He had some amazing ideas. He spoke so eloquently on many, many things in terms of global macro, uh, global debt situation. And he is the chief investment officer of Turner Finance. Uh, he has an investment. He's been investment profession for 20 plus years. Uh, in financial services industry, and he helps clients uh, protect, grow, transfer wealth during their lifetime with objective, unbiased, customized, efficient strategies. And, other, you know, with that, Andrew, thank you and welcome to our show. Well, thank and, you for having me. Yeah. 
And provide us your perspective. I, I know we talked a lot about crypto. I think Derek touched upon mm. so many things that yeah. it has. Uh, just give us your view of the world as you see it. Well, I tend to agree with uh, Derek quite a bit, is that the sky's not falling and that uh, you can't, well, some conclusion we can draw from here is that with all that has happened, one thing that we know for sure is that you can't regulate crypto away, right? And it's just the opposite, is that this is more of an event that uh, it's a public outcry for additional regulations so yeah. that uh rules are there to uh uh to be written and to carry out and to be enforced so that uh you know uh there could be more equality and people can be protected at all levels um and after this storm and this storm shall pass after the storm pass i believe that the remaining players they will be stronger and they'll pick up additional market shares and for those operations and entities that works with compliance, uh, those are going to be the winners. Um, and that's how we view it as well. Um, mm. And then when we have the situation, uh, when you have so many coins and, and uh, you know, different tokens that are created, it tend to confuse the general population and it tend to confuse the general investors. And so it's not surprising to, for uh, financial advisors or, or even, um, uh, you know, friends among friends to just recommend and say, hey, listen, if you don't understand it, just stick to something that you do understand. And so when it comes down to the core of what started this crypto uh, push or this evolution or decentralized revolution, NFT and everything else, uh, you know, that comes along the way, it's really Bitcoin. And then the second, uh, I wouldn't say product, but the second uh, crypto, it will be Ethereum. Mm. And throughout all of history, we can see that uh, the technology and the infrastructure behind these two, they have actually flourished. They did not, uh, you know, suffer, you know, uh, uh, you know, during all this time, even during the demise of FTX and, and with all its counterparties uh, filing for bankruptcy, we see that uh, uh, Bitcoin is still viewed as the digital reserve, if you will. Very similar to gold. You know, it's very surprising. But again, this is not financial advice, and I'm not here to make an endorsement for crypto uh, <laughs> because it is super, super important for financial advisors to uh, not make a recommendation uh, for investors to invest in crypto. This is absolutely on a need basis, meaning each and every conversation that involves cryptocurrency is always initiated by the client. And yeah. we always do that uh, because we are not in the business on recommending cryptocurrency uh, as uh, an, an, a core uh, component uh, in an asset management portfolio. Everybody will truth, deny it. Part of that is because the knowledge of the depth of knowledge in the space is actually quite low too. I mean, it, it's like, you know, you can recommend um, a variety of different portfolios and equities, but you do that because the knowledge is there to be able to recommend pharmaceutical, recommend mining, mm -hmm. recommend technology, because there's so much data research, et cetera, for the, for the advisors to recommend. In the cryptocurrency world, which is so rapidly evolving, 
the the amount of information available and the knowledge base is not high. So it's not yeah. advisable in most cases to provide advice because the knowledge base isn't high enough to be able to provide that with confidence. Would that be fair to say too? That's absolutely true. Uh, cryptocurrency, digital currency, uh, decentral finance, even NFTs, smart contracts, blockchain itself, uh, how it can change the world, we understand that. Uh, but to most financial advisors and to most uh, you know advisors on Wall Street, they really have limited knowledge in this space. And even for those who have more knowledge in this space, we are still operating under heavy, heavy regulations from FINRA uh, and also from the SEC. And because there isn't any clear definition, uh, you know, for uh, investing into crypto, uh, what's legal, what's not. Uh, so in this space, we tend to avoid because uh, it is just safer to do so. Mm. Yeah. So, Andrew, one thing we've discussed repeatedly in the show is the source of liquidity. And we've debated a lot in terms of what's liquid, including the liquidity in the crypto space. But say you have you have truly liquid crypto assets, as you mentioned, Bitcoin and Ethereum are quite quite liquid in the crypto ecosystem. But you also are a debt guy. You you spend a lot of time in researching sovereign debt, global debt. Uh, we are in this interesting point in time where we have high inflation, high debt. Uh, in you know, prior to show, we talked about the fact that GDP to, to, to debt ratio of the basket currencies is, is enormously high. And I'd love to get your perspective on impact of this interesting weirdness we are, we are in, where massive amount of debts, a lot of money has been pumped during COVID timeframe mm-hmm. to support uh, the ailing economy. What, is, what do you think is the impact of... Uh, some of that and and now we are sort of having this hangover if i could use that term and you think there's a spillover effect on everything all asset classes including crypto well uh that's a very uh, interesting question it's a great question because there is a degree of correlation between liquidity and the value of crypto right i'm just let's say using bitcoin right as the benchmark so as we see that when we have uh, more liquidity in the system, you see Bitcoin rises. And then uh, that correlation is actually uh, quite true when we go back uh, and look at the different points uh, in history. Um, and then we also see that the demise of FTX and then uh, a few other parties that have uh, basically committed massive, massive fraud and that have brought uh, you know, quite a bit of uh, uh, nervousness uh, into the space. And then some who have invested, they have lost money. Um, but nevertheless, uh, from the macro point of view, uh, we have seen that over the course of, uh, you know, the decades, uh, the U.S., right, the U.S., I'll, I'll talk about the U.S. for now. Uh, we have a mass, uh, you know, an extreme, extraordinary amount of debt over time. And where we are meeting with high inflation, but we have to understand this high inflation is really supply-driven versus demand-driven. Huge difference. Mm. Demand-driven inflation, it's very sticky. It, it, it's in very, very difficult to get rid of because it's too much money chasing too few goods, right? Supply-driven uh, inflation, 
is that there is somewhere in the, there's a plumbing issue, you know, within this operation. And we need to fix this plumbing issue, whether it is a bottleneck and somewhere that, uh, you know, we have a disconnect, we need to fix the disconnect so that it can flow through. And once that disconnect is fixed, it will flow through. So usually the amount of time for deflation to counter inflation, it's a lot quicker. You know, it is a multi-pulling effect. Um, And that's exactly what we're seeing here too, is that deflation was already happening behind the scenes. And we were seeing that in spot prices and commodities, materials, that was happening months and months ahead. So we're already seeing deflation in the pipeline. And then what's in the end of the pipeline? It's the end consumer. And the end consumer have reacted by not purchasing as much. So the inventory started to build up. So you can, you know, you can review and start to go yeah. back and listen to Walmart and Target. And for the past few months, you know, past quarter, we've seen inventory has piled up. It has piled up so much so that it has decreased that, uh, uh, you know, orders for the factories. And that's why we're seeing a slowdown on the horizon. That is already an effect. Um, but what we are really afraid of is the Federal Reserve making a mistake because the amount of liquidity that is in the system that has insulated us to be like Europe. Europe mm-hmm. was always making fun of the US for the longest time, for decades. It's like, you are just irresponsible with QE. Uh, you are just printing too much money. Here in Europe, we don't operate like that. And look where it got them into now. They don't have that base layer of liquidity. And now inflation hits, they are forced to tighten and boom, they're in this crunch. And so sorry for Europe, they're also geographically challenged too because they are largely, largely depend on Russian oil, Russian natural gas. And on top of all that, the war between Russia and Ukraine you know, it's, it's still not resolved, even though sources have told me that with the most likely within three months, the G20 have been pushing and pressuring both sides to come to a negotiation because mm-hmm. winter is here, winter is coming, and it's going to be brutal. So mm-hmm. they also have this geographic challenge that all the refugees are bleeding into these countries. So they have to take care of that. And it bleeds into their entitlement uh, system as well. Luckily for us in the U.S., we can say, okay, we're going to raise money and we'll send it over. We'll send supplies. We'll send military aid. But we're only taking in hundreds of thousands of refugees at best. Over there on that side, I'm talking about millions. Okay. So so there are challenges. And I say that the U.S. is so blessed because we have this base layer of liquidity in the system. And that's why till this day, the financial stress on all the banks, they're still showing negative stress, negative, negative 0.5, you know, somewhere around there. So our financial system is quite strong. And that's why the argument goes on and on, depending on who you talk to, are we in a recession yet? <laughs> so if you if you include the calculation of employment, obviously, you know, then of course we're not in a recession yet, if you want to use that. But if yep. you look at the GDP numbers, obviously we had already two consecutive negative GDP. Uh, we have, I would say the last quarter's growth in GDP is artificially generated because of the deflator. Um, but other than that, I don't see any growth 
within any of the numbers outside of the you know of the deflator you know and that and that number is completely manually you know uh inputted i'm not saying any conspiracy theory <laughs> here but um what i'm saying is that from a consumption perspective we have already slowed down this is a cyclical cycle okay of a natural slowdown that's why inventory build up all that you know stimulus money is already spent uh but going back to the amount of debt is that we cannot afford to have an extended period of high interest rate uh and what i mean by high is that we went from 0.25% to 4% in 7 months that's a very high and that provides and, and it contributed a tremendous shock into the system how does that compare to the 1970s in the 1970s we did not have this much debt first of all second of all right. paul oker the fed chairman then have brought interest rate from 10% to 20% that's a double understandably so the unions were you know very powerful they were controlling the labor force uh and uh uh you know we also had an energy crisis there you know um and uh and the economy is is very very different you know uh speaking from a debt level there's a measurement that we 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 use quite often uh when we look at the state of health uh when it comes to different nations uh is the amount of debt they have compared to the output and that ratio is called debt to gdp ratio so going back to 1970s the debt to gdp ratio for the us is only at about 30%. Then Ronald Reagan uh that was Jimmy Carter years in the 1970s. Yeah. And Reagan in the 80s have brought it to about 50%. Spending have increased understandably so over time. And we must spend. Um so pre-covid at the Obama administration we were still very comfortable at about 75% debt to gdp ratio. But now after covid after the monstrous amount of spending that we did in the US our debt to gdp ratio is right now sitting at 137.2%. Wow. That is incredible. Yeah. And 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 to look at the actual dollar amount that's 31.2 trillion. 31.2 trillion. I'll stop there. I'll give it back to you Derek. No, I think this is uh, fascinating. I I did have one more question before I pass it back to Derek. as well um is for the longest time bitcoin was seen as inflation hedge in fact there was a lot of comparative studies between bitcoin and gold uh both in terms of market depth and how long it's going to take for bitcoin to get there this is 2017 2018 time frame and i think you discussed that as well when we chatted about this podcast and suddenly now that bitcoin is no longer inflation hedge gold is where it is why does it happen I mean why like what gold what bitcoin used to be a uncorrelated asset suddenly highly correlated to equities and risk on assets which was not the case 5 years back and suddenly it's lost that that status of being an inflation hedge while gold still maintains that status yeah. I'd love to get your thoughts why does that happen well it it all started uh, with uh uh the value of a country's currency is pegged to gold you know so there's some type of value there and even though we gone off the gold standard in the 1970s uh gold still have high correlation and we still use it economists still use it today yeah, 
to measure inflation across the board, especially when it comes to inflation expectation. And gold has a high correlation and is a very useful measurement for that. And so, so we saw uh, the uh, gold prices actually crashing uh, when the Federal Reserve was screaming inflation. And that coincide with material costs when it comes to spot and future prices in terms of lumber, in terms of copper, steel, with the exception of food and energy, obviously, because that's largely disrupted from the war between Russia and Ukraine still, you know, to this day. Um, and so uh, from that perspective, uh, gold, it still, uh, you know, has this uh, purpose and gold still uh, seeing uh, right now, we're seeing a resurgence of its value, as a matter of fact. Interesting. And Nitin, also, you know, the time span that Bitcoin has been determined as being a hedge against inflation can be picked. Uh, so if you look at it over the last 12 months, definitely isn't. If you look at it since early 2020, well, one would argue it is. Early 2020, it was worth six, eight, ten thousand dollars It's now worth $15,000. Um, that's a 50% increase over a period of time. Maybe one would argue that's a hedge against inflation. So, so it does depend on the period of time. I think you look at these, uh, these, these um, sort of statistics. Um, the other thing, of course, is that we may be seeing that because this new asset class is becoming... Mm, more mainstream, despite the impact that we've seen just recently on its credibility, um, it's now getting really heavily impacted by the, you know, the flow of money, the speed of money, the availability of money. And, and that might become a greater determiner for a period of time until such stage that we no longer fixate on Bitcoin as, as the store of wealth and the major part of this industry. Maybe this is because I, we call this show Beyond Bitcoin. Um, and, <laughs> and, and we start looking at the technology that's getting developed. And, and like technology companies, um, we might see um, real growth in different sectors as technology starts playing a role. Decentralized finance starts getting larger and larger. The returns to the utility token holders start getting very large. Then we start getting equity twist within this. Um, so I, I think for the time being, the market tends, tends to be highly speculative um, and, and determined upon the availability of funds to invest in it. And of course, the sentiment of funds to invest in it. Is, is that a, a novice and fair view of it, do you think? Andrea, I'll let you give it a shot. <laughs> that's, uh, that's absolutely the case. That is absolutely yeah. the case. Yeah, I think uh, fear is still driving uh, uh many investors to stay away from crypto. They mm. were curious before, but they are scared now. Yes. Um, and, and for those, uh, uh, you know, have invested, unfortunately, they have invested for whatever dollar amounts that they have invested into either FTX or, or one of the in institutions, you know, that have filed for bankruptcy. That is a, a, a lesson learned and it won't be forgotten. It's going to be, you know, permanently ink in their memory of, you know, what they should not have done, right? And so that will definitely keep, you know, a large amount of investors out of cryptocurrency. Uh, but uh, 
The backbone of crypto, in my view, it's still going very strong. The technology is still advancing and the infrastructure is still advancing. And I and I believe through turmoil and challenges, uh, the maximum efficiency will be pursued, you know, as a result. And so therefore, uh, efficient in a way that we can also prevent uh, fraud, uh, efficient yeah. in a way that, uh, uh, you know, we can use the least amount of resources to gain a, the most output. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting, Derek, is to your point, you're right, market depth, age of the asset class itself. Uh, gold has been there. The utility of gold is well-established, well-known. And what's interesting is that Twitter had a massive interesting thread in terms of, the, you know, the gold reserves in India. And for some reason it came up because there's a lot of gold moving into India. And I had to, I chimed in. Usually I'm, I'm quite absorbed, you know, I, I observe quietly on, on Twitter that India has a special relationship with gold. It's not just a store of value for the country. Yes. It has a lot of historical significance. It also has a lot of cultural significance. Yes. Uh, so there's a whole utilitarian age of the asset class, the market depth, 17 trillion, I think, Derek, that you mentioned last time is the total gold market. Uh, and so so I think all those uh, you know elements are pertinent. But I have one last question. I know we could talk for hours on this. Since you're a global macro guy and you focus more on debt and, and commodities, energy. Uh, energy has been quite a concerning, I think you mentioned this early on with the Ukraine-Russia war, Russia actually having a lion's share of this commodities market, which has caused interesting supply chain issues early on. And now it's 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 inflation issue that has an impact. I'm focusing energy on one single facet of our industry, which is mining. And we had a pretty interesting conversation last week when we actually had mm. a, a person who drove mining we begin to see the energy cost because at the end of the day, energy is a raw material going into crypto. And if energy becomes expensive, it becomes hard to, to get, and it's not economically viable. It affects the, the very nature of what keeps this industry alive, which is mining and minting. So you need all kinds of compute power to keep Bitcoin alive, uh, have enough network, make it economically viable. And we've seen, at least in the United States, uh, after China ban, um, out of 20, we expect 12 of these companies to go bankrupt uh, by the end of the year, which leaves a very small, concentrated, you know, uh, entities doing this mining. Uh, you know, forget Bitcoin for a minute, but how do you see this in a, a global macro, you know, uh, perspective where uh, there is an equation here where you have demand supply issue for the very new asset class that needs all the energy in the world and needs all the support, and suddenly it's been choked off that supply element too. Uh, any, any thoughts on that? Well, uh, boy, this is a, a loaded question, of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, this is it's definitely a loaded question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in the short term, obviously, uh, there will be challenges uh, when it comes to supply and energy. But the long-term destruction is it's already working in its way. And we can see the crypto miners, they're the fastest adapter uh, for change, right? Uh, Europe is forced to a corner, you know, that's why they have nowhere to go but to emerge and adapt change. Uh, and we see that into the future. You know, for the United States, roughly we have about what, 17 utility company controlling our network that is built in the 1970s as well, right? For for power, okay? Uh, what does it take? What does it take for our society to become self-sufficient, 
not a whole lot. In the future, the marginal cost for energy is going to be zero in the future. In the future, energy is going to be so abundant that you can't even give it away. So that that's going to be the challenge. That's going to be the challenge. And that's why all the wars that were fought over resources, you know, it's going to be a different problem that we're going to face. It's going to be a brand new, different world, you know, uh, emerging. So in the short term, I agree with you. You know, we have energy prices rising and then we have Bitcoin prices or cryptocurrency going down. So this effect absolutely will kill all the miners out there that are not operating 100% efficient, right? So what is the most efficient way? Clean energy. Right now, as a matter of fact, last time I checked, they're not taxing the sun's energy, right? <laughs> There's no tax on the sun's energy. And the solar product just gets better and better. It improves so much better over time. And uh, the efficiency of the solar cells now, you know, it doesn't even have to be sunny all day anymore. So it is just a matter of time for this adoption to take place. And homes are going to be, you know, mini power stations. Mm. And that will stabilize the grid. So all this fear about, oh, we're going to require so much more electricity in the future. What are we going to do? And I say fossil fuel you know, will 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 be very challenging going forward. And and society is going to change to adapt to where we're going to have so much abundance and energy. And don't forget the the other part of it is is nuclear. And look at France, mm-hmm. look at Europe right now. They are, you know, rediscovering uh nuclear energy. And uh and I wouldn't be surprised that this change is going to happen in this decade much faster than the previous ones. Interesting. That's, no, that's interesting. an ex- extraordinarily optimistic view, and I and I'm with you. I think it's exactly the case. Uh, you know, having just visited Tasmania, it's 100% self-sufficient. Um, it's a green state because it rains a lot, and they've got a lot of dams. So that's their particular. Um, area that they generate energy so much so they expect to double it over a period of time and they're selling it back to the mainland Tasmania is an island south of the um, the, the, the continent of Australia and, mm-hmm. and they're selling it back to the mainland you know I live in Perth in Western Australia it's the land of the endless blue skies um, and so therefore you're getting so much solar energy uh, occurring I, I, I'll never forget the, the comments from some of the founders of Google that said that they think that solar could grow exponentially in its efficiency once you start putting nanites into them and they can start being programmed and therefore you're getting the exponential growth of software um, into the into solar energy, which should be very exciting. And, and when all this occurs, the fact that um, you know, Bitcoin will require uh, energy is going to become an irrelevant discussion. In the meantime, as our mm-hmm. friend from um, Tasmania, Chris Molloy, said, they, this industry is the dung beetles of energy. They hunt it <laughs> down left, right, and center wherever it is cheapest and wherever it can be used. Right. Um, and right. they store it away. And so um, so, so very much it, it has a survival mode for some period of time. And it'll be interesting to see. One also has to remember that the majority of tokens um, don't use proof of work as their backbone. Yeah. Um, and now you see the giant Ethereum's now using proof of stake as its backbone. We're not going to see a, a Bitcoin change anytime soon, according to my reading, um, but we're certainly seeing a lot of the other tokens uh, doing this along the way. So, so Andrew, 
Um, sort of a finalised view, what's your thought of um, what it will take for the crypto industry to start regaining credibility? And how long do you think it's going to be before um, you'll see retail investors effectively and carefully investing into this space more through um, your world of, um, you know, um, RIAs uh, yeah. occurring and, and and what will it take to make that happen? Yeah, it's going to be it, what's required. It's really interesting because um, on the day FTX filed for bankruptcy, uh, United States, uh, New York Federal Reserve Bank, alongside with four institutions, HSBC, Citibank, uh, uh, and, and two other major banks, they have started a digital US dollar pilot. It's a 12-week pilot. So similar to uh, the Chinese uh, electronic renminbi, uh, they, the central banks you know, wants to create a competitor or competitive product so that they can trick the users, <laughs> the consumers, uh, to use their uh, digital centralized uh, uh, currency versus you know, depending on uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, and so we know that the demand is there, uh, but we also understand that uh, investors will figure this out. And <laughs> you know, cryptocurrency is not going to go away. Um, and what it really requires is all the industry heads come together and work with the regulators to come up and draft up and be able to yes. share ideas on let's create and work out and draft these guidelines. That's going to make sense. That's going to help protect the institutions. It's going to help protect the integrity uh, you know, of this fundamental uh, 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 cause uh, you know, uh, for crypto. Uh, for existence to begin with. Um, and and once, you know, it doesn't have to, because it will emerge over time and it will improve over time. But if we have the basics, you know, created, uh, you know, re requiring a custodian, for example, instead of self-clearing, uh, you know, that's a major task uh, uh, of uh, regulation that needs to be done. I think we need it like now, like we need it yeah. yesterday. Um, and so for the industry to come together to work with regulators, I think this will be the most uh, efficient thing to do uh, uh, in order for cryptocurrency to move ahead. Yes, agreed. Look, the industry has generally made this statement, and that is the FTX um, crisis will make this young industry stronger. So, you know, that old saying, don't let a good crisis go to waste is incredibly mm -hmm. relevant right now. So we'll all learn from SBF's mistakes and implement new practices and new safeguards, new regulations to prevent future blowups. And this has to be um, looked at from that angle. If, if, if there's a, a group organization, individuals that have lost funds out of this, it's, an, it's a harsh lesson. But for an industry, and most importantly, for a new asset class, because that's what this is, for a new asset class, this is what the, the class needs. It needs this punch to push regulators to make sure the regulations go into play, my thoughts, and that it will come out stronger. And, and this is generally what the industry is saying too. The, this libertarian pushback that we used to get early in the piece has tended to quieten down as the majority of the industry saying, give us some regulations 
we want to be regulated. Now, I hope those regulations are going to be regulations that focus on these centralized um, organizations and the impact they'll have, uh, but we will see. What are your thoughts, Nitin, as we wind this show up? You know, no, I think, uh, one, I think SBF was has been to Congress and on the Hill many times. I think it's personal now is close to home. Uh, and I think there's an expectation not only to to protect the investors, but also have a much more clear guidelines. And I think there has been a critique of the regulators to say you have not done enough while uh, you know the industry was pushing back on regulation. So it's a little bit of interesting sort of uh, you know uh, mix uh, of both. Uh, but I think that uh, there are definitely in 2023, there'll be a lot of focus on regulation. I expect that. So Andrew, thank you so much for coming along tonight. Really appreciate yeah. it. And and Nitin, thank you so much for inviting your guest along. Um, thank you for learned having a lot. Me. These 30 minute shows are nowhere near enough because the fact of the matter is your macroeconomic view is, is extraordinary and quite deep. And we just appreciate the fact that you've considered what crypto is doing in this space and given us a view on that along the way with your, your depth of knowledge. Uh, we greatly appreciate you coming along. Maybe you might join us again sometime next year so that we sure. can reflect upon the year that has been sure. um, over that period of time. Um, yeah. Thank you, my friend, Nitin, and I will see you again soon. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. And Andrew, I echo Derek's point. Thank you so much for being here and thanks for your time and perspectives. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.